What's up, guys? Uh, glad you are tuning in again with us this week. We're going to uh, jump right into the Word here in just a second uh, and spend some time looking at that and trying to understand that, walk through it together. Uh, but uh, we would love, really, for you not to just uh, kind of be stuck in this digital world with us and tuning into these videos, but to come and hang out with us, spend some time with us. We gather on Sunday nights as a church. And so if you'll hit us up, send us a message, we'll get you uh, directions to where we're meeting at here in Tempe. And so if you're in the East Valley, we would love love to have you. We'd love for you to come spend some time with us. Uh, love to get to know you. Uh, we'll spend more time in the Word. We'll pray together, pray with with one another, uh, get something to eat and hang out and, and laugh a lot. We have a good time as we get together. And so uh, what we're doing right now isn't, isn't church. We're just spending some time uh, looking at the text together. But as we gather together, uh, that becomes what the church is about. And so we invite you. We want you to be a part of that. Love to have you. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians again this week, and we are nearing the end of this letter. Um, we started weeks ago at the very beginning, uh, and here we are in chapter 12, uh, kind of wrapping it up. Chapter 13 is the last chapter in this letter, uh, and so we will be winding that down. And what we're going to look at today is in chapter 12, uh, verses 11 through 18, really is where we're looking at. And what you'll see is, as we hit this section is that there's not going to be much new to this. Uh, it's going to be ideas, uh, things that we've already discussed and kind of talked about. But Paul's kind of wrapping it all up. It's kind of the end of a, a rant, really, for Paul uh, as he's addressing some things where they've, they've really questioned his authority. They've questioned his character. Uh, they've, they've questioned why he does anything that he does, essentially. Uh, and Paul is, is pointing out to them that it's very foolish. In a sense, the... The fact that they're listening to other people bring these accusations in this way, uh, they have ultimately been captivated by fools, and they're propagating the same foolishness. And so we're going to look at that uh, beginning in verse 11 here in just a second. Um, as you're turning there or scrolling there, uh, let me share with you a, a quote I heard recently from a podcast that I was listening to, and it's, it's in the introduction to the podcast. They, they kind of cut uh, snippets. They give quotes of different people saying uh, different comments, and one of the quotes in that introduction, a man is quoted as saying that we have a culture of church members that prefer a narcissist as a leader. Now, a narcissistic personality disorder is a disorder in which a person has an inflated sense of self-importance. Now, the text we're looking at, you won't find the word narcissist in there. Uh, but I think you'll see where this ties in. You and I, that's a pretty simple definition, probably both at some point or another. I know for me, I would fit that definition at times. There's been times in my life where I had an inflated uh, understanding of my own self-importance and a sense of, of how important I was. Uh, and the Lord often reminds me uh, that that's not quite the case. Uh, but Paul was dealing with some leaders and with some issues in this text uh, that kind of fit that idea. Uh, this quote, uh, to what degree it's true, I think there's truth to it. Uh, the guy is essentially saying that there's a, a culture that's pervasive in many of our churches uh, where we value the wrong things. We value high profile, high performance, uh, high end results. Uh, those are the type of leaders that we want uh, and and we prefer that over a more modest, a more humble, uh, lesser-known type leader. Uh, we we look for results as opposed to character. Uh, we'll even justify poor character at times um, for the sake of better results and just 
chalk that up as the cost of success. We want to have a bigger church, a better church, more people, do this, do that. Well, you know, we've, we've got to be okay with some things just not being maybe as good as they could be or as good as they should be. Uh, and, and so that's what that guy was getting at. Paul is going to be addressing a, a similar issue uh, as we look at this today. So let's look at verse 11 together. Paul starts with, I've been a fool. I have been a fool. Now, hopefully that's not you. It's certainly been me. But Paul's not really saying he's been a fool. He's kind of playing the fool. He says, I've been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. We've talked about them. This has been brought up in the past several weeks. These, these super apostles, these men that have come in who are claiming, uh, to be, uh, superior in some way to Paul. Uh, superior apostles uh, than Paul was. And so he's very sarcastic. And this, this last section we're looking at, he's, he's really sarcastic uh, to prove his points, to make his points that he's, he's trying to teach them here. And he says, the verse 12, he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches? Except that I myself did not burden you. Forgive me this wrong. Paul, like I said, he's, he's playing the fool. He's uh, making the point really more about their behavior. The Corinthians and the, the super apostles, uh, it, it's really what they've been doing that's been so foolish. Now, Paul has just finished boasting. Uh, and he's, he's, he's saying that I boasted and you forced me to it. But what he boasted about, remember, were, were all of his weaknesses, all of the things that, that went wrong, all of the hardships, all of the suffering, all the difficulties that he's had in trying to be obedient to what God has called him to. That's what he boasts about. He boasts about enduring hardship, about failures in a sense. Um, things that maybe he couldn't accomplish, but God does accomplish. And so he's saying, look, I, I did boast about those things, but I did that because of, because of you guys, because of where you put me. You wanted me to, to give you a list of qualifications. See, here's the thing. They, they have these super apostles come in. And they start talking a bunch of garbage about Paul. Uh, and probably less about Paul and more about themselves. About how great they are, how gifted they are. And if, if the church really wants to, to move forward, if the people want to do uh, the right thing, then they need to allow these super apostles to, to be involved and to lead, and everybody needs to follow. And, and, and this guy, Paul, you really don't need anything to do with them. And so they've, they've given the church, they've given the Corinthians their own qualifications, essentially. And so the church is confused. Do we follow these guys or do we follow Paul? We're not sure what to do. And so... They questioned Paul in some way, whether it was uh, accusatory or whether they're just uncertain uh, and they need some answers. And so they're anticipating Paul's going to give them a a list of of qualifications, achievements, uh, accolades, his education, references, uh, maybe the number of churches he's planted or the number of baptisms or the amount of money that he raised for this or for that or maybe the number of staff that he supervises. And the list could go on and on. They want Paul to, to commend himself, and, and, and we've, we've discussed that in depth in this letter. But that's not what Paul does. 
Paul tells them about how difficult each step of the way has been. The challenges he's faced, the, the persecution that he's endured, the suffering that he's experienced, not only him, but, but those who are traveling with him. And what, what he endured while at Corinth. And so he says, you, you wanted me to do this, and I've been a fool, but I've been a fool because of, of the position that you've put me in. And my foolishness is really uh, only foolish in that I was having to remind you of it anyway. You guys were there for much of this. And in verse 6, Paul uh, calls them to remember in word and deed what had happened when Paul had been there previously. Paul spent a long time with these people. They're dear friends. Beloved is used in this in this text a lot, in this language uh, that Paul uses. Uh, they're close to him. Uh, he's, he's led so many of them to the Lord. He's, he's been involved in their life. And, and they're bringing this back. And so he's really addressing it. Uh, and, and he's being very sarcastic in doing so. It seems as though uh, these super apostles uh, have brought up something about miracles of some kind. And that maybe maybe the Corinthians have addressed this with Paul. And so he says, he mentions uh, the signs of true apostles were performed among you. And so he's not necessarily giving us specific identifiable marks of apostleship. What he's doing again here is saying, look, you were there. You, you've seen the signs and the wonders and the mighty works. He's not really talking about three different things. He's, he's talking about the miracles that God performed while he was there with them, in and through Paul, uh, in, in and through the people of the church. He's reminding them again and again, look, you've seen this. You were there for this. Can, can you really deny my apostleship at this point, with what God has done? Is there, is there something else that need be done? Was that not good enough for you? Signs and wonders and, and mighty works? Maybe that was something that Paul inserts here. Maybe it's something that these super apostles are bringing up and, and they're, they're, they're claiming to be able to do this or to do that or that they've seen this happen or that happen. But Paul's just saying, hey, look, you lived through that. Remember, he, he's told them, uh, you're my letter of commendation. Your life is that. So he reminds them again. Paul also, though, here, he emphasizes uh, patient endurance, which I think is a little unique and probably doesn't fit at all with the super apostles. My guess is they weren't into patient endurance. That they weren't coming, exclaiming, look how patiently we've endured all these trials. It seems but very much the opposite, that they're coming saying, hey, look, when we come, this happens and this happens and this happens. You need to be on board with this. They're very uh, lofty in their speech and um, very boastful about who they are and what they've done. Paul says a, a key in this is patient endurance, enduring to the utmost. And Paul says, I've done that. I, I did that with you. We continue to do that now. We kind of gather from this letter and, and Paul emphasizes here that these super apostles seem to be also offering a service <clears throat> excuse me, to the church at some kind of cost to them. See in verse 13, Paul mentions it uh, at different points, kind of hints at it. 
uh, at different points throughout this letter, but he mentions it again here in verse 13. And some things in life you buy because of the name, right? Like if uh, you're going to buy a motorcycle, you're going to buy a Harley Davidson. Why? Because of the name. Well, because of the name, it's also going to cost you more. You could go buy a similar bike. Now, all you Harley fanatics might think I'm crazy for this, but you could buy a similar bike for way less less money if it doesn't have the name Harley Davidson on it. Um, sometimes you buy things, and you maybe don't know the brand, uh, but because you paid more for it, say there's two sitting in front of you at the store, and you think, which one am I going to get? Now, often maybe you're just going to go with the cheapest, but sometimes you think, I need a good one here. And so you're going to just pay more money and assume that because you pay more money, it's better. It's a higher quality. These super apostles are, are, are charging the church, but Paul didn't do that. And it seems that either the, these other guys that have come in or the church itself is confused by it. They're like, well, Paul didn't charge us anything. Maybe, maybe what Paul brought us, what Paul gave us, maybe in some way it's of a lesser value. These guys say that they have something. But it's going to cost us, and it's going to cost us quite a bit. So if we're going to pay for that, it must be good, right? It's got to be good. Why would they charge us otherwise? So Paul says, hey, look, I, is there anything that you guys were, were less than compared to other churches that I served? In fact, the only thing that I didn't do with you guys that has happened at other churches is is I didn't burden you in any way. He's talking about a financial burden, that they, they didn't have to support him. And so Paul's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. You know, like, oh, next time I'll charge you. Will that make you feel better? Paul's trying to point out how ridiculous this is. The, the, the conversation that they're even having is just foolish. Not to mention... What they're offering is, is is garbage. They're not bringing anything. We don't know the content of it, but it appears based off some things that they've said and the accusations that have been levied against Paul that that what they're bringing into the church is is filth and is only going to be used to to divide the church. So that's why Paul is addressing it. Paul continues in uh, verse fourteen. He says. Look, I'm ready to come to you this third time, and I will not burden you, since I'm not seeking what is yours, but you. For children ought not save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now granted, I did not burden you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Did I take advantage of you by any of those that I sent you? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brothers with him. Titus didn't take advantage of you, did he? Didn't he walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? So Paul is saying, hey, look, guys, I'm coming to you again. You guys got to hold on a second. I got to get my water. And we're too far in, so we're not starting over. Um, Paul says... I'm coming to you for the third time. And guess what? I'm not going to burden you this time either. There's no way, no sense that you have to support me. I'm not trying to get anything from you. Now, this is, this is key. 
This is significant. I, I don't want what is yours. I'm not concerned with what you have. I'm not looking to profit from you in any way. I just want you. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want them in some type of selfish way. He wants them because he, he's, he's jealous for them, a, a, a godly jealousy. He, he desires to see them walk closely with the Lord. He's concerned for their heart. He's concerned about eternal matters. I don't want what you have. I want you, and I want you to be close with the Father. And that's different. I mean, it is a stark contrast with these other men who've come into the church and offer something to them, but only if they pay. It's going to cost you. Paul says, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. There's nothing that you can give me. I simply want you to be faithful and obedient to God. He said, children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Two key verses. I don't want you, I don't want what is yours, I want you, and I will spend and be spent. Now, how is this useful for us today? When we look at this text, Paul's clearly dealing with a, a, a very personal matter. 2,000 years ago, essentially. It's, it, it's very unique to those circumstances in many ways. Yet at the same time, we still have the same problem. Today, in our own modern lives that we're living, maybe more so with uh, the amount of content that we have access to, determining who do we listen to, who do we trust, how do we know, how do we figure that out? Well, I think Paul gives us some some principles here as we as we read through this, as we look at this, that we can take and that we can apply. It will help us to discern what it is that we are listening to. Who do we trust? One of the things that's key that, that's not explicitly said is that one of the ways we know we can trust is relationship. If the only person you're getting anything from ever is just like this on camera, it's just a digital world that you're living in, you don't have a relationship with them. Paul had a relationship with these people. Somebody else was just trying to insert themselves for something that they could get. So that relationship is key. Uh, that's that's why we say every week that this isn't church. We want you to be uh, with us. We want you to be present. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes we know that the world has changed dramatically in the last almost two years. And that that some things are different at times. But the church meets together. And so that relationship that we have, that relationship that we build, builds trust. This... Uh, Church, the Corinthian church, didn't have this type of relationship with these new folks. Uh, and, but they had it with Paul. And they're very quick in this moment to kind of dismiss that, to forget about that. <clears throat> so let me give you some of what I think are some distinguishing marks between biblical leadership and cultural leadership. Paul's talking about... Uh, his authority as an apostle 
And you have these other guys that he references as super apostles that were trying to come in. Uh, yet at the same time, we're not specifically talking about apostles today. And Paul wasn't writing out a clear list of, of what that is or isn't. And I really think what we're trying to do, what we're trying to distinguish then for us, is the difference between biblical leadership and cultural leadership. <clears throat> Paul was seeking the people, right? He said, I don't want what is yours, I want you. He was, he was seeking the people and not prosperity. So biblical leadership prioritizes people over processes. Not that we just get rid of all processes or systems or, or whatever, but the people are what's most important. Cultural leadership uses people. Biblical leadership prioritizes the people. Cultural leadership will use people to accomplish some type of so-called greater purpose. The people are just a, a cog in the wheel to accomplish uh, something that they've set out as a, a big, grand vision. It's not always accurate with what we see in Scripture. Biblical leadership sacrifices to serve the people. Paul said, I will spend and be spent. He's, he's listed all of the things that he's endured, all the sacrifices that he's made to serve not only the church at Corinth, but many other churches to see the gospel spread. So, so biblical leadership sacrifices to serve the people. Cultural leadership requires that the people sacrifice to serve the purposes of the leader. You find yourself in a position and you see that, that, that the leader is, is requiring that you sacrifice to accomplish something that they want to accomplish. Uh, and it may be it may be closely aligned with scripture, but it, it it might not be either. And so, you're sacrificing, and they're gaining. It seems to be backwards. Paul is saying, biblical leadership sacrifices to serve the people. Biblical leadership serves even at great cost. This is very similar. Uh, cultural leadership prioritizes a return on investment. What am I going to get for it? Is, is the return going to be big enough for me to, to go ahead and move forward with this? The, the super apostles were, were marketing the word of God for profit. Paul talks about this early on in the letter. That, that they're trying to uh, charge the church so that they can accomplish this great thing that they want to accomplish. But that's only if, if the return is going to be big enough for them to invest. Right? Biblical leadership serves even at great cost. Biblical leadership boasts in weakness. Paul does a ton of this, right? If he boasts in anything, it's, it's in his own weakness because he says that it's, it's in his weakness that, that God's power is perfected. Cultural leadership boasts so as not to appear weak. can't have somebody think that I'm not a good leader. I can't have somebody think that, that I, I'm weak in some way. Cultural leadership wants to, to minimize that, to cover that up, to, to appear strong and bold and courageous and capable of doing great things all the time. Paul gives a very different picture here of what he's able to boast in. Because the point is, is that in that weakness, he becomes dependent on God. And what is accomplished then is what God accomplishes. Paul's just along for the ride in that. Biblical leadership champions the work of God. This is similar to what 
we were just saying. And cultural leadership champions their own work, but attaches God to it. They just say, hey, look what we've done. And, and we pray and ask God about it, maybe. But really, we accomplished this. God was just kind of here watching over it and making sure everything went well. Biblical leadership is driven uh, by relationship. I mentioned this at the beginning. And cultural leadership is driven by results. If, if all we're trying to do is get to a result, then maybe that line's been crossed a little bit. Leadership, biblical leadership, always has to do with relationship. The Corinthians had been captivated by fools. I mean, completely captivated by these, uh, this new group of people that had come in. Or at least at a minimum by foolish behavior. And as a result, the, the lens through which they viewed Paul's ministry had, had now been distorted. But as I mentioned, this isn't just unique to Paul's time. The issue persists today. Maybe more than ever. There's key marks, though, that can be identified. Things that we can look for. Um, and... When I, I, I put biblical leadership versus cultural leadership, when I look at what should happen in the church versus what happens in the world, it seems very clear. But what's confusing, and what was confusing, I think, for the Corinthians, and I think what becomes confusing for us is when, is when the two mix. Is when we begin to see uh, biblical leaders uh, using a primary focus on maybe cultural leadership concepts. And that's not always... Ill-intended. Those those things happen at, at one point or another. What we have to do is is be on guard to correct our actions when maybe we we move too much one direction or the other, and that when those those cultural concepts become primary, then we can quickly stray off course. And those lines get blurred, and biblical leaders, people that we trust, people in our churches, people that. And maybe we trust within uh, organizations or conventions or denominations uh, begin to uh, use tactics or techniques that maybe move us just a little bit farther away. A little bit off course. And we might miss what God was really trying to do. We don't know these guys that call, Paul is calling super apostles. We kind of know the church. We know that, that Paul loved these people dearly. He, he gave a great deal to serve these people that he loved. And he, he cared for them. But even in that, they, they still were able to get mixed up with this. This is something that we can do. It's something we do do. The big thing that I think shapes this or that I think takes place and uh, maybe the the overall big idea that we can that we can use to distinguish this is that the end result is when we begin seeking prosperity over people Paul said I don't want what is yours I want you we begin chasing after what we can gain or what we can build or what we can achieve or what we can accomplish at the cost of people but this isn't just this isn't just a leadership principle. This isn't just for trying to distinguish leaders. Uh, and certainly, I don't think it's 
it's useful for you to use or for me to use to sit and to judge other leaders. Uh, it's not a way just to say, oh, he's good and he's bad and don't have anything to do with this person or that person. A big key in this is the relationship. But I think it's also a very, a very personal thing. Paul said, I'm seeking you, not what is yours. Often in our walk with the Lord, we begin seeking what belongs to him and not seeking him. We want the kingdom, but we're not satisfied with the king. We want to be the master, but we don't want to serve the master. The fool that captivates us is our own hearts. We, we want what Jesus can offer us, but we're not content with just having Jesus. See, we can get this mixed up in a lot of different ways. In the final chapter of this letter, Paul will challenge his friends to uh, examine their own heart and their lives. So I, I would do the same for you today and for myself. Are you seeking Jesus or are you seeking what you could gain from Jesus? There's a big difference in that. Has your heart been captivated by fools in some way? Has it been captivated by foolish behavior? I, I can say for certain that many people over the last couple of years, maybe the last three years in our society, have been captivated by fools in many ways. Is that, is that something that's taking place in your own life? If so, how is it distorting the way that you view the world around you? How is it distorting the way that you relate to people? Are you, are you communicating Jesus to people through that, or has it affected the way that you live your life in such a way that when people see you, they don't see Jesus? Or if they do, they see some distorted version of Jesus that really makes them not interested. As we finish up this letter, as we finish up this section of text, I think for us to, to be able to look at this and to see how Paul interacted with the church, with people in the church, with a church that he founded, with people that he loved dearly, and to be able to pull away some things that, that can impact us even today, a, a unique circumstance in Paul's life at this moment in time that has uh, such great application for us today is a tremendous gift that the Lord has given us. So as you think about this, as you look over, look over this text, um, maybe as you're getting ready for tonight as we're going to meet together, uh, I would ask you just to do that, to examine your own heart. Where, where does any of this apply? Where does this fit in you? What, what, what does this call upon you to change about your life? Maybe who you've listened to or maybe who you didn't listen to. And let's see, let's see how we can uh, put this kind of into effect in our own lives as we think about pursuing the Lord, not just what the Lord can give us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for the tremendous gift of that, that we can, through the life of others, learn about you, who you are, what you desire, what you detest. God, I pray that we would be able to use this in our own lives, Father. I pray that as we look at these things, as we we try to understand what it is that you're doing, Father, that you would soften our own hearts, that you would reveal to us areas in which maybe this fits us in ways that we would have never imagined. And Lord, uh, that you would help us to pursue you, to seek you, Father. 
Lord, in so doing that we would that we would seek others as well, Father, that we would find people in our lives that we would spend and be spent for for the sake of the gospel to be made known to them. Lord, we love you and we know that you love us and we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.